in three, two, one. Ready to supercharge your personal and professional life with tools for lifelong learning and possible change? Are you mid-career or at the halftime of life wondering, what's next? Are you or your company experiencing huge change or lacking innovation and creativity? Don't spend another minute stuck on an endless roundabout. If you want to hear a message of inspiration, hope, and authentic growth, you're going to enjoy my interview with Deborah Johnson. Well, hi, Deborah. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. It is so fun to be here. I love these times together, and it's great to be with you today, Michael. Where are we talking to you from? Where are you at today? Southern California, sunny Southern California. (laughs) Now, you're a Georgia girl. You're originally from Georgia. And one thing that I was really interested in your bio is you grew up on a dairy farm. I didn't actually grow up. I was born on a dairy farm. Oh, you were born on a dairy farm. (laughs) Yeah, I grew up mostly around here, but born on a dairy farm. So, Well, then you ended up in Southern California. So you went to Cal State where you did graduate work in arranging and composition. And you were in music, obviously, at a very early age. And I know your mom and dad have since passed pretty much paved the way for you. Your dad was a first responder. He was a fire captain, I believe, but he was also an entrepreneur and he built industrial buildings and your mom was creative and artistic. So you really had a framework and lots of good examples that kind of started you on your path, it seems. And I laughed with the dairy farm. When I was in college, I milked 300 cows twice a day and it made me stay in college. (laughs) And I learned right away that was the best motivation ever. But how old were you when you ended up in California and what put you on that path? Very young, like yeah, very young child. And you definitely do your research. So good for you. <laughs> you oh, well, it, was... it really shows how we can find something almost anybody. But yeah, very young and did all my schooling out here, everything. So I'm pretty much a Southern California girl. But still at heart, I'm a Southern girl because I love the values. I right. love any time to visit. There's just something about those cows. (laughs) Well, they teach you a lot, animals. And it's actually, it's interesting on the cows, I call it lead cow theory. It's getting the lead cow. And I used to have to milk these things and you'd bring in 16 or 24 at a time and their tails are wrapping around your face and it was awful and smelly and dirty and gross. (laughs) But once you find the lead cow and line up the lead cow, the rest all fall in order. So there was a good leadership lesson in that. Now you moved, you started and built a business around music. So music was your love. And you're quite prolific. Matter of fact, I got exhausted reading your bio. You've produced (laughs) dozens of albums. Many were up for Grammys. Multiple musicals, which I love musicals. I always loved theater. And I studied opera when I was in college and the works of Puccini and Lab OM. And so I love the power of music. My dad was a professional musician, so I get it. You've written hundreds of songs. People can find them online and download them. And you've written books, four books. And now you're working along and 07 and 08 comes along and it changed your business, which kind of put you into a different direction. Let's talk about that. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I expanded my business and part of, I've developed something called the roundabout as well, as far as the hero mountain, and then there's the roundabout hero, but it's being able to get out of that endless roundabout. And part of those principles was what I have to apply in my life. And this is multiple times that this happens. This doesn't happen just once. But at this point, I was looking at the market, like what was booking, because as you know, when things shut down, yeah, they, they like shut what down. we've just gone through, right. if you're an entertainer, if you are out with the public, all of a sudden, it stopped. It's yeah. just completely stops. And that's kind of what happened in the 2008 and nine, where things were really winding down. 
and I looked to see what was booking. And I had a great headline show, a couple of them that I was working with, and I was doing the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber, of Gershwin. I'm a pianist and vocalist as well as composer, right. and I was doing those at theaters across the country. And then with another duo group called Double Grande, we had a great time with large events, some arenas and all of that. But I saw that acts like ours weren't being booked as much because we didn't have the name recognition Mm -hmm. or a hit song, or we weren't a tribute act doing the songs from those that had name recognition. Right. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, we did some of that, but it wasn't the same. But what I noticed, I wanted to stay on stage because I wanted that sort of impact. Right. And I wanted to push myself a little bit to just kind of keep that sort of edge of what I was doing. And I didn't really even know anything about speaking. And I'd never written a book up to then. I had written the musicals, which right. is actually very similar to the book I just wrote, which was my fifth book was that summit book was the allegory. And that right. was very similar to a book and a musical. But just finding out a lot more about some of my agents had been working with speakers as well. So I found out a lot more. And it's an expansion of my field. I still do music, of course. I'll never not do music in my life. But it's not my main, main emphasis. But the the speaking, the writing, the creativity in that area to help people move ahead in their life is really where my passion lies now. And also, we've talked about multi-generation. I mostly work with people at mid-career or halftime, but the messaging is so clear. Even after the first book I wrote, which is called Stuck is Not a Four-Letter Word, it was like, oh, this should be in schools because some of those principles are applicable to all ages. Yeah, they transcend everything. What I was struck with in reading your books for our preparation for the podcast was the process that you created that you used musically. And I could relate to that because of my father. And he never wrote, he always played other people's songs, right? But he was an accomplished musician and never really created. But then how did you translate that into creating and how others can do it? You're a born performer. I know you started piano at age nine and you have the chops. Not everybody does. You watch American Idol. I love watching the auditions because the people who, it's like, have you no sense of awareness? You sound terrible. But to see them evolve through process too. So you see the audition to where they become. And all of us are performers. And I was struck by that, as you said, I thought, you know what? Every day is a performance and we should take that approach to the performance. So let's talk about that process that you go to. So do you start with an idea? Do you start with a thought or do you have that end outcome in mind where you see it and then you work backwards? How do you get there? How do you engineer that? It's kind of interesting. I've been asked so much about my process and I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm an intentional. Intentional. Yeah, I read that. Yes, intentional. I love that. Uh, Friend Anna Leota from NSA, she Mm -hmm. talks about that, the same thing, because I can sit there and just focus, focus, focus. Right. But the process, writing is rewriting. And this has been the same process with music as with books and going about doing this, you have to gather the right help you need, which I have done with editors. I'm not a naturally born writer. I watch a movie that's really well written and crafted. I'm thinking that's brilliant. I don't know if I could ever write something like that sort of thing. In writing The Summit, which is an allegory, I read every single Harry Potter book. The last one, all 800 pages. And I'm thinking, how can somebody write this much? But the character development was very interesting. So I think in the writing process for me, it's Mm -hmm. been a learning process. But you have to be willing to rewrite. And then at some point, it's like exiting your roundabout. You have to be willing to let it go. And I was just speaking with someone about this, that there are so many that get even... 
I've known those have gotten major record deals. They never finished their first album because it was never good enough because they couldn't push it out the door. You've got to get to a place where you take that risk and you know you're on the right track. And even if you're not totally on the right track, you still have to be willing to put that out there. In some of my albums, I feel like, oh, okay, did I rush that? Did I do that too much? I went about and doing this. I mean, a wonderful Christmas album. I have a brass section string. I arranged all of this and it's a great album, but I'm thinking, man, I just sort of went into that. Just did it. Because once you're committed, you've got everybody lined up. And I work backwards a lot of times too with some of those Mm -hmm, goals mm -hmm. with the end in mind. So I know, okay, I got a session. I got to get these parts done. And same thing with writing books. Right. It's all putting programs together, putting a speech together. Just came up with the last couple of years I've been working on. COVID gave me a chance to work on the new keyboard, the hero inside. All of that is working backwards with your goals too. So a couple things. Very consistent and be willing to rewrite and work hard. And number two, you got to be willing to let go. Yeah, you got to let it go out there. And I get you on this. I'm always amazed how people can describe things perfectly. And you describe this perfectly. So I really love that. And then it's having the confidence to put it out there and be brave enough. I get it. Like it takes me two years to write a book, but it really only takes 90 days. And but it takes me two years because I procrastinate it. And then I'm constantly (laughs) editing myself and listening to other experts where it's, hey, I'll get the first draft out there and then come back to it. Leave it alone for a while and then just put it out there because what's the worst thing that can possibly happen? And once you realize what's the worst thing, you know, people hate it. Well, I already know when I give a talk, just as you do, some love it, some don't. And it's not personal. It's where they are. And it's usually related to their projection as well. So I get that. And you don't have to be that a personality. You can be a B personality or whatever other variation there is. It was interesting in your book, The Summit, there's a chapter on what you talk about the warm band of hope and that it'll bring you back to reality. Talk a little bit about that. I was intrigued by that. Yeah, the band of hope. If we lose hope, we've lost everything. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. I believe that so strongly. When people lose their hope, they die. Right. (laughs) They die not only physically, but they die emotionally. And so I felt it was important for the character, Mallory, and her name ends up changing, of course. Right. And the meaning changes too. And I provide these in engagements as well. I don't have one right in front of me, but a little yellow band of hope. Right. But it's a reminder of how important hope is all the way through. And if you don't have that with you, you can lose heart, you can lose your way. And we have to have something that we are hoping for or looking forward to. And this is why I never want to quit work. I don't want my husband to quit work. I want him to keep going. Right. It's about the business part. Of course, you have to do the business part, but it's not all about the money and all about this. It's about impact. So that way, in keeping going in your life and having that sort of belief of the hope And when I'm a strong believer in a higher power and all of that, I think that all fits in with our whole life and our life's journey. I couldn't help but wonder if there's a little bit of Deborah in Mallory as she's transitioning, because it is a a story within a story. It's an allegory. And as she transitions from Mallory to Andrietta, I believe. Uh And... Is there a little bit of Deborah in Mallory? I think in every book there is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you put yourself into these books because you draw upon your experience. 
Right. When you look at the social media circus in the book <laughs> yeah. Summit, it's because those are some of my experiences that I'm watching people with the Instagram sort of what they are doing with these profiles. And you can come up with these characterizations. And it's part of our living and our experiences that help us to put those down creatively. And the challenge is to put it out creatively. Right. That you can communicate a message. And this was the hard work on that book. It was a lot of rewriting on the summit because to make it very, very clear, not just clever. I mean, that's that Donald Miller thing of just really, really clear because I love to be clever. But I want to make sure it's very clear as well with the messaging. And it's nice as the people that have been reading it, it is clear. And it was worth the work for that. It's like Tuesdays with Maury. You hear the fable, the story of the greatest salesman in the world, Dog Mendino. It's a great way to teach and a great lesson. So you storytell very well. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Deborah Johnson. I was curious about a lot of your focus is on women. As a matter of fact, you're the host of the podcast, Women at Halftime, and a great podcast. But I was thinking about halftime and what you mean by halftime. And you describe halftime as being 40. So if you're 40, you're in halftime, <laughs> and we'll pass that one. But I'm going, yeah, what do I want to do for that next third of my existence, right? Because it becomes a point of where, hey, it's not so much about the money anymore. It's like, I want the purpose. But then I started thinking, well, everything you talk about with women really relates to us as well as men. And I couldn't find anything that didn't resonate. And it was interesting. And women go through different issues than men. We still have disparity in the workplace. You and I do the same job and there's like an 18% difference in wages. The pandemic has caused massive hardships and it was the women who bear the brunt of that. They're the ones staying home with their children. But it's just as applicable for men, isn't it? It's definitely applicable for men. I focused on women at halftime because it was easy to brand. Yeah, (laughs) it's good good marketing. I wrote a book, Women at Halftime, talking about the journey to Hero Mountain. But more women end up reading books and following everything else. And hopefully they will share with those men around them. But yes, and officially the internet labels halftime at age 40. So that's kind of a joke that I put it. That's what, according to the internet, it's between that stage where people start feeling this sort of change, like really, where am I at now? And that could fluctuate depending on when you got your education and when you started into your career, all of those things that can really, really change. But the principles are timeless. 
timeless. They are timeless for most every generation. I just needed to kind of focus in. People get women at halftime, and that's the title of it. My husband comes on with me once a month, and we have a great time because we've been married for over 40 years, actually. Oh, excellent. Congratulations. Yes. And we haven't thrown each other out yet, and I'm not about to start over. So, no, that's good. (laughs) He's a good guy. Yes. Nice. Well, and you obviously attracted that. And it's funny because one day you wake up, and I've had this conversation with many people. It's about being relevant, right? Like you wake up and your world's changed. Your relationships change, (laughs) your work changes, your coworkers start to speak loudly, or they call you ma'am as you you reference it. I have people opening doors for me now and say, here you go, sir. You know, and (laughs) I'm ready to punch the first person who tries to help me across the road, right? But we don't always feel relevant, but we're not dead. And all of a sudden there's this urgency like, "Uh uh-oh, where am I at? And it can come upon you really quickly. And even those that are listening that are millennials or Gen X, it's coming to you. This is coming to a station near you. You will experience everything we're doing. So the principles that you teach in your programs are absolutely ideal. I'm going to make sure my daughters have your books, my sons too, so that they can understand, hey, here's your future. Here's what's coming. Because it is. And it's about how do we reassess and how do we develop a strategy for halftime, just like in sports. And we take timeouts and at halftime and we have to re-strategize. And sometimes we're down, sometimes we're up. And it's like, all right, it's not the end of the game. We got another second half. How are we going to do that? So people at midlife, I know you hear this all the time. They feel stuck. They feel lost. They're slogging along, feel like they're kind of going uphill. You call it a roundabout. They're exhausted, they're trapped, stuck in neutral. How do we get out of that? Did you have some ideas for us that, and I realize we're not going to solve that problem in just a few minutes. Yeah, but. that's right. One episode, you could just fix your life. No. Yeah. Uh, but the, <laughs> uh, the roundabout, it's kind of the way I even introduce Hero Mountain. But the roundabout, there are three strong principles. Number one, you have to identify where you're at, your position. Right. And number two, you need to get some perspective because a roundabout from above looks totally different and you can see the path more clearly. And then number three, of course, you have that sort of purpose, the strong, strong purpose. And I think you were just talking about sports. Okay. Right. I, my husband was a professional athlete when I married him. And professional athletes, former professional athletes, have a very difficult time when their body does not do the same thing as it used to do. So for him at this stage, I'm watching his journey as well as we are right alongside, setting those goals, getting a stronger purpose. And sometimes your purpose needs to be even stronger. I mean, there's so much talk about purpose right now, why and all of this, but that's a very important part of this. It may not be strong enough in getting all three parts of this. You have to really identify where you're at, be honest. So with him, is there that extra weight? What do you need to do? And then perspective, do some education and then book things that are going to push you a little bit or have a workout part. All of those things, that applies just to that area. But in your business, the same principles apply. These are all the way through your life. I applied these principles in producing musicals. It's very simple, but you got to spend time with them and time on reflection. Well, and you said that, well, a lot of them get lost because as you say, position, perspective, and purpose. And I think that's in your book, The Summit, around chapter eight, Mm -hmm. The Warm Band of Hope, and where it brings you back to reality. These are the three steps within that book, if I recall. Mm -hmm. So it's redefining yourself. Hey, this was one career. Most of us are going to have more than one. And so you have a number of good formulas that we can all use. And a lot of us, the negative with it is our self-talk. And the reason we feel trapped or we get stuck is we have this, and you call it bad mental code. And it's essential that we look at that mental code or that programming. Talk a little bit about that. So when we're feeling depleted and defeated, I think you talk about focusing on the most critical strategies so we can make those adjustments. 
What are some of those critical strategies that we can use to get rid of that bad code? Yeah, and I wrote bad code because that came out of my website getting hacked. And there's a lot of principles <laughs> that go yeah, along you learn. with being hacked right. virtually as your mind. But anyway, that was a really interesting book to write. But I'm going to focus on what Mallory had to do. Sure. Because this is so applicable. Because I talk about mindset. There's all right. these principles. But she had to change her language. Because there's all this talk about imposter syndrome, you're not good enough. She had to change the I can't to I can. She gets keys. and It's got to change. She has to say it out loud. I won't to I will. Right. And it's the language that we tell ourselves. You might have to write little notes to yourself. But part of that is the self-talk and the language. And when we feel that we are not good enough or we're in the background or we don't make a difference. In my keynote speech, I use the illustration of being an accompanist, okay, because I was my sister's free accompanist for years. She's a professional violinist and wonderful, but I was the older free accompanist. So there are a lot of feelings that you have when you are behind the scenes. You have to make sure that you don't make a mistake. And she was wonderful. She started little tiny. They always start when they're aged like four and uh, would play away, but she'd skip a page now and then. So maybe look horrible. (laughs) So, (laughs) but you have to get beyond some of that negativity and to be able to let all of that go and move on. You talk about this quite a bit in your programs, the danger of the head trash and the lies that we believe or Mm -hmm. the negative scripts that we're following that pervades our thoughts. So is there a way to, other than just changing that language, like what would a day look like for you? What's a typical day for you? And how do you start and how do you incorporate some of those strategies in your day? Well, I love it. You mentioned the book earlier when we were talking about essentialism as well, which I read every year. Great book. Uh, But it's very important to have a time of reflection. Yeah. And so I've gotten into the habit and I call it a 90 day challenge. I've put this on social media now and then a 90 day challenge, writing a couple lines in your journal. Because when people think of journaling, sometimes they think, oh, I have to write pages like that book, The Artist Way. Oh, just work pages. Who has time to write pages? So unless you're writing a book, but unless you're really going through something difficult, and then I do suggest that. But just writing out those thoughts, keeping that focus, reading, reading positive things that will help you focus on those things in your life, because a lot of it is your mindset. Right. And whereabout habits are very important to me. Mm-hmm. Early riser, this is where I say I get up with the dairy cows. So I'm an early riser. Get up and I'm a strong believer in journaling and then working out. You got to get the body moving. That's and right. all of that is a part of your mindset as well. Not focusing the self-focus when you can start focusing on others. It changes a lot with your mindset. Now, there are people that have a very difficult time with their past, possibly abuse and all of those things. That's a whole other category. They need to get some professional help. And I encourage that. But then I encourage them to not stay there forever as well. Because there's people that will never get out of that. And they're They're stuck in the story. Yes, they're stuck in it. So I think your personal habits and your self-talk and what you are talking about yourself and how you are moving forward as well. Because as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, which I've been my whole life, even though I've taught at every single level, I've taught at the university, I've done all of that, Mm -hmm. but that's different. I'm still an independent contractor. Right. (laughs) Yeah. We still have that 
self-talk of what goes on. And can I stand in front of these people? And do they think I'm just like, I really know what I'm saying? You know? Well, <laughs> even as professional speakers, we get holds from our agents and they might be comparing us to other speakers and all of a sudden they release their hold and they don't pick us. And that thought does come in here and go, oh, I'm a has-been, one hit wonder. Maybe I'm not yeah. relevant anymore. And then all of a sudden we get a, another booking and somebody loves what they saw or heard and you get a big high five and go, I'm back yes. with it. So the mindset's really important. And it's really how we think and what goes into our brain and with the media and what we see today, there's so much negativity and you don't come out of it feeling good about yourself. And matter of fact, one of the areas that you teach, I think it's from Cal Newport's book, where he talks the craftsman's mindset. And it's not about getting it just right, but focus on getting really damn good. All right. Right. To get good at what you want to do. And excellence and perfection is the enemy of good, as we know. So it's like, all right, you have an idea. I'm going to move with it. And not everything's been successful for you, right? Like you've had things that have worked and things that haven't worked. What have you you learned more from? Oh, I learn a lot from things that don't work. (laughs) (laughs) If I stop... If I take the time and stop and don't be in such a hurry to evaluate what happened. And sometimes it's just circumstances. It's the wrong timing. And that's a normal part of life. I think there's a big part of providence and timing and in some of our career decisions. So you hear this all the time from people and from businesses. But we have to sit back and say, how could I have done that a little bit different or a little bit better? Or not totally give up on it and try it again a little bit different way. Sure. So that's another aspect. That's like rewriting a little bit. And so there's things that I've started actually, and I've restarted and then started a little bit different way. Well, and there's so many distractions and things to distract us. I really focus on the focus. And I throw the headphones on. I saw some stat that said, if we focus for 52 minutes, take a 17 minute break. Those are all good things. And so I try and do those things. How do you maintain your focus? Well, I do take breaks. Maintaining my focus. I'm not usually asked how I maintain focus because I Well, I know one thing in your book where you talk about throwing out and deciding with your team that's around you what to Mm -hmm. say no to. Yeah, I was intrigued by that. I thought, man, I need to do that. It's hard though. Yeah. It's like the Marie Kondo and throwing out and I've started doing that, but you have to take time to do that. Yeah. But yes, deciding what not to do as well, what meetings to not go to. Right. Okay, will I be missing out on something on this meeting? And time is extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And especially at this point of my life, that's <laughs> right. one of my most valuable resources. Right. And I'm pretty picky. You get a little bit spoiled by just showing up online and not having to drive in LA an hour, hour and a half to get there and then get back. Oh, yeah. All of those. Yeah. That's, that's the benefit of the pandemic. You can sit in your Lulu lemons and wear a nice dress shirt and you're good to go. Yeah, it's a good way. And that's why I think the new business, that's where things are. But you talk about throwing out the things that you love, or I always call it conmarring your life. Marie Kondo, my wife, kind of got into that. And we have a place for everything. And if it doesn't bring us joy, we let it go. And it's hard to let it go. When you have personal mementos or you have things that you're working on or past successes, you let it go redefine where you want to be and then recreate that again. But it's liberating. And it started with Mark's book on essentialism. Uh, The metaphor he uses, as you know, you go to your closet, you look at your clothes and you go, hey, have I wore this in the last six months? No. All right, toss it out. Now, if you're still attached to that Grateful Dead t-shirt that you wore back in the 70s, you were at the concert, put it on a hanger, turn it around. And in six more months, if you still haven't worn it, get rid of it, toss it. Mm -hmm. And it becomes liberating. And then it becomes contagious. And we have really just unloaded and it's freeing. And I take pictures of birthday cards, mementos. Most of us have garages we can't even put cars in, right? right? And our lives get cluttered. And by freeing it up, it frees us up to think, 
be creative, and again, redefine ourselves. And Microsoft had an old adage, eat your lunch before the competition does and make yourself redundant or obsolete so that you can keep focusing. And I've always kind of worked on that. And it's tough. It's tough out there because there are distractions and things to focus on and what we should be focused on. As far as businesses and getting unstuck, we've got people who are on that treadmill, you call it the roundabout. There's a process for that. And I know there's some competencies and you talk about it in your book about staying relevant, the 12 emotional intelligence competencies by, I think it was Goldman and Boyatzis, I think, Mm -hmm. the book Primal Leadership. And are there ways that we could do tomorrow that we can start, hey, take a good look at this and start working to getting off of that roundabout? Right. Actually, by the time this is out, it'll be available. Download. Um, Being able to successfully evaluate where you are and where you want to be. Mm. And that's a big part of this is to be able to do this. And we call it a system of faders relating to a soundboard almost uh, with your financial, your attitude. But there's a, a whole little system there to where you can evaluate where you are and where you want to be. And some of that is helpful, but you have to look when people say, well, how are you? And you just say, well, just fine. I'm good. I mean, I'm I'm okay compared to a lot of people in the world. I'm not in... I'm not in Ukraine right now. I'm doing fine. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of how we respond and not taking the time with all of those other areas to say, would getting out of debt make my life a lot easier right now? Well, yes. Would getting rid of things, which I am right with you, but I have a lot harder time than you do getting rid of stuff right now because we right. lost both parents and it's like, I can't get rid of it. You it's know, my those memory. are it's difficult. My link. Sure. Yes, it's yeah. difficult things that you don't want to just totally. And books between my husband and I. We've gotten rid of so many. But but again, going through and it's a constant evaluation. And you just spoke about that, the constant evaluation. You don't want to spend too much time of just self, self, self because you can't move on. You've got to be able to leave that and come back to it. Almost like writing is rewriting. You're writing your life, pretty much. You keep rewriting your life. So those are steps along with the jotting the notes of where you are and where you want to be. That's a real positive that's a forward momentum. And that's what I encourage, not just to be stuck, a forward momentum that you can see where life is going now for you. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And like I say, it does take courage to do it. But once you start to do it, you don't lose those memories. Matter of fact, you actually start looking at them more because they're digital, they're in the cloud. So we actually have on, I don't want to say it out loud because it'll start talking to me, but one of those boxes from Amazon that shows pictures and different things. So we have those memories (laughs) pop up. And where I'm not going to go pick up a photo album every day, but I see one right. every day and it right. changes. So I actually have a better connection with it than I did when it was sitting in a box up in the attic somewhere. I wanted to address a couple of issues. And one of the things I really loved in your book, and it was a chapter on the land of allure, where your main character, Mallory, wakes up to this note on the table. And I think it says creativity is a way to progress and has no limits. Yes. And sticking with the ordinary and average will keep you stuck. And basically, she learns there that the uninsured and the ordinary are destined for a life of mediocrity. And then it gives her a formula on how to get out of that mediocrity, starting with striving to conform creates limits. What do you mean by that? 
as we strive to be like others. And it's kind of fun. I have color maps that I've made available at some of my live events, but there's maps in the book. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to have this sort of visual illustration because if you're striving to be like somebody else, right. social media has done such a disservice to us. It's helped us in many ways. It's right. communication. When I did my first album, we were pen and paper. We were mailing things. We can do so much now just online and right. virtually promoting and the whole thing. But trying to strive like somebody else. In my business, my business is so different than anybody else's. And for a long time, I was trying to think, where do I even fit? I don't know where I fit. I feel like I'm on a freeway because I've still got music publishing and I'm still putting out other materials and I'm producing videos and all of this other, as well as the speaking and, right. and the writing. And so I couldn't just compare like, okay, I want a certain look this way, just, right. just this, like that person. And so that's such a hindrance. It will keep creativity back. We've got to be who we are personally and understanding who we are and you know how different we use are. your own voice well right. as a singer you know this i mean you have the chops but you know if i sounded like neil diamond i have a job as a tribute artist that's it working in a yeah. small casino somewhere if you sound like celine dion you're done right. you've got to sound like deborah and yes. deborah has to have a unique voice and so i think great advice is don't conform because it has its own limits and then copying represses our true potential and it this is where maybe the imposter thing comes into play where if i just be like this person or i model that be who you are that uniqueness of you that's why we love you is the authentic yes. self right and instead of trying to be someone else and there's right. a certain part of this when i talk about leadership i talk about self-leadership as well mm -hmm. but you've really got to in many ways, just kind of like who you are. I mean, right. if you don't like who you are, if you're thinking, oh, everything that comes out of my mouth is like mean, or if I'm always just making a joke about things. Those are sort of things you think, okay, how can I kind of change that around to be a more fun person to be with and not to be so negative? There's people around, I don't like being around them because they're so negative. Right. And I don't want them to bring me down. No. And that's hard. You want to encourage people, but yet, yeah. Right. Where's that negative... Draining. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to get any better if they don't decide. So those are the things of looking at ourselves of like, where can we grow personally? So if you have an audience and you have to give them, and you have lots of messages, your books are filled with, like I say, lots of anecdotes and stories and principles, and they're well-crafted. And you can see where your musical experience comes into play because they unravel like a song. There's a bridge. They're very musical, the way you express it, which I found it. Songs are warming. We love songs. And I know in your programs, you'll sing on stage as part of your live presentations and your coaching. But you've got an audience of millennials, baby boomers, four or five multi-generational audiences, right? And everybody feels stuck sometimes at different levels. What's one of the first steps they can start taking tomorrow to start on that road or that pathway of getting unstuck and off the roundabout? Well, the first step is that you have to start, yeah. period. You have to start. Right. You can't just procrastinate and just keep putting it off. You know, put it off the rest of your life, pretty much. If you're talking about number one step, yeah. that's it. And find something to be able to start. Right. And your method might change a little bit, but it's like a moving target. You're going to gather momentum if you're mm -hmm. moving somewhere. It's just like agents picking up shows or right. speakers or whatever. If it's moving, it's much easier to be able to book that person. 
Well, and you really sum it up, I think, in your programs. And those are interesting. Go to your website because you've got a great program called The Mountain Summit. And I came up with five basic ideas out of that. Number one, establish a healthy mindset. Get your core values clearly defined. Who are you and what are you about? Number two, develop your crucial habits. What are the habits that you need to have, whatever it is you're going to be? Three, evaluate your relationship networks. Number four, assess your skills. Focus on your competency. Focus on getting better. Continuous improvement. And then number five is to clarify your purpose. And once you get those things set, the rest kind of unfolds and allow room for flexibility, allow room for spontaneity, allow room for just stuff to happen, right? And because you're prepared for it to happen. Right. And that's the Hero Mountain Summit. Those steps to your summit, but everybody's different. Yeah. And everybody's path is a little bit different on that. And when you commit to something in your life like that, you are going to move ahead. You're going to move forward. And there's not just one summit. Yes. That gives me room for a sequel on the summit. But there's just going to be another mountain. Yes. I'm looking forward to the next. We have a number of summits that we are climbing in our lives. And this is just showing that you just don't want to quit again when you lose hope and when you just quit. Well, then just sort of hang it up. Yeah. Yeah. Give it up. Well, you know what? We know we have one kick at the cat. I don't know what's next, but we do know we have one kick at the cat here. Right. Yes. And as you say, there's a hero inside all of us and we have yes. everything necessary for what it takes in order to do it. And it's all about the journey. Deborah Johnson, a pleasure. You're full of insights and inspiration. So glad you exist and your commitment to those of us in the workforce that are struggling with our own little mountains and our summits. Great. Michael, it was an absolute pleasure and you are a wonderful host. Very prepared. I'm very impressed. So oh, thank th- you again for the My pleasure. <laughs> This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.